how's it going, guys? My name's Harold Story, host of the Tunes Tunes podcast. Yeah, shout out. It's so loud in here. There's about uh, 10,000 people that stuck around for the panel. Uh, don't, don't, don't look around. Uh, <laughs> nah, yeah. Uh, well, this is an exciting thing. Um, whenever Stephen asked me what movie I thought would be good, um, you know, kind of relevant to uh, my podcast. So I do a podcast about anime and music. So kind of all things animation as well. But this was like a no-brainer, especially because it was in the Ready Player One trailer. And um, I think it's just a movie that's just universally respected and revered by so many of us because it came out in a, at an impactful time for a lot of our lives, I think, coming out in 1999. And so I think it kind of has like that nostalgia factor already built in. Um, especially for a lot of us that are born in like, you know, 1990, 1991, and even uh, us uh, 1980 kids. <laughs> Shout out to Mike. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I just wanted to, you know, bring together a lot of the people that I've talked to leading up to this panel that this movie has had a profound impact on. Um, and so yeah, I just let these guys go down the line and kind of introduce themselves and uh, what they're affiliated with and what they do around the city. So yeah. Hi, uh, I'm a 1970 kid. Uh, I'm Brian Winkler uh, with Robot House Creative. Um, and uh, Brett and Adam are, is Brett still here? Yeah, Brett's there. Uh, and <laughs> I thought you were the same person. <laughs> Bradham. Um, and uh, uh, we've been working with Tower to sponsor uh, Ready Player March and uh, been uh, Brett and Adam are doing a really awesome job on the posters, and uh, 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 Adam hadn't seen, had either of you guys seen Iron Giant before now? Okay, yeah, I thought so. And Adam just, yeah, for the first time, so. Wow. And I just, and I just watched it for the first time uh, with a dry face. So this is probably the 12th time I've <laughs> seen it. I'm glad you survived it with a dry I, face. Amazingly. Um, so yeah, so we uh, were a, a, a branding trio, and we work with Hideaway Pizza and Kubeo Works and American Cleaners and a whole bunch of really cool brands locally. Uh, and we've been wanting to work with Tower, and this wound up being just a the kind of the perfect nerd trifecta of our wheelhouse. And so it's super exciting to be a part of this. All right, I'm Nikki Robinson. I'm with the Okie Geek Podcast. Uh, Harold was so kind to come and join us, as was um, Caleb Masters, who did Blade Runner last week. And uh, we ended up talking about the Iron Giant. And I didn't realize I had all these feelings for the Iron Giant until we started the podcast. And then he's like, hey, you want to come to my panel? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> because now I have a lot of philosophical ideas behind it, and uh, we'll get into that in a bit. But um, yeah, uh, I'm with them, and we are hosting uh, Big Trouble in Little China next week. So definitely come in for a little less serious fun, <laughs> because nothing in that is anyway philosophical. <laughs> it's just pretty. It, yeah, you could, but Josh, <laughs> Josh is. <laughs> He'll just bring his A game. But anyways, um, but yes, thank you for joining us for the panel, and that's pretty much all I have to say. Keep it short and sweet. Uh, my name is Eric Likens. I'm the uh, bar manager here at the Tower. I'm basically just Stephen's fill-in since he's at South by this week. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No, no we had a. Uh, 
Harold and I had a uh, had a chat a couple weeks ago about this movie and realized that we had a lot of common interest in it. And uh, the one thing I will say is that I think more people showed up for this movie than did Blade Runner last week, which is kind of awesome if you think about it. Cool. Woo! Yeah. yeah, you and us. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Casey McElroy. Um, I uh, I guess I help Harold uh, with the uh, Tunes Tunes podcast. Uh, I'm kind of Harold's uh, what go to. I, oh, okay. Co-host. Wow. You've I, been upgraded. Sweet. Okay. I'm going to expect residuals from now on. Um, but yeah, uh, Harold, uh, me and Harold and me are good friends from college, and we've done uh, the few episodes of the Tunes podcast together, and he asked me to uh, join him on this, and I said, uh, hell yeah. So. All right. And uh, real quick, I just wanted to uh, let you guys know that after this movie... This movie is finished, so now you are no longer patrons of the tower. You're just friends hanging out, like in a living room. So following this panel, we're actually going to be doing a secret showing of, uh, of Pacific Rim. So Ooh. if you guys want to stick around for that, it's a double feature. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's one of those movies that, for me, and even re-watching it now, it's, it's, uh, there's so many deeper themes in the movie, and it's very, uh, you know, very relatable for anyone at any age, I think. And I feel like every time I watch the movie, I find something new that I'm like, oh, I didn't really I, like realize that they covered that topic. I didn't realize they touched on that in this movie. But they do it in a way that's very relatable and I think universal. And I think that's kind of the appeal of the movie. Um, so it's just one of those, one more of those reasons that I thought that it would be a great pick for this. And obviously it was because it was <laughs> great turnout. Um, but yeah, just uh, we'll go down the line. But the first question I wanted to ask my panelists was, uh, you know, do you remember your initial viewing or like your first introduction into the Iron Giant? Um, do you remember what stuck out to you or what kind of appealed to you about the movie when you first saw it initially? Uh, I saw it opening day, and. Uh, uh, nobody probably remembers this. It got killed in the theater. Nobody saw this movie. It opened up the same day as Mystery Men, which also got killed, but which gave us Smash Mouth's All Star. That was such a bad movie. Uh, it, but it gave us All Star. Um, and it, they got killed by the Sixth Sense, which made like forty million uh, in that first weekend. That's such a bad movie. And Iron Giant overall made like 18 million or something like that. So, and Warner Brothers did such a terrible job promoting it. The, uh, the commercial that they played used Rock Me Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions as the music <laughs> and spoiled the whole You Can Fly bit. Oh no. Yeah. So it was terrible. Uh, but I saw it and I had tears streaming down my face and I was just like, and I, was, and I didn't have kids, so I like, had the opportunity to see as many movies as I possibly could at the time. <laughs> and so I was like evangelical about it, because I knew that it was gonna be gone in like two weeks because nobody was seeing it. So I saw it five times. I kept bringing people to see it and said, you have to see this movie. And um, a friend of mine, Shannon Gallant, he's actually a comic artist. We were working in an ad agency together, and he's a comic artist now. He was doing G.I. Joe, and he's actually doing G.I. Joe meets the Six Million Dollar Man, which is a really cool miniseries he's doing. Um, <laughs> but I didn't tell him anything. I was like, you gotta see this movie. And so we're watching it, and uh, uh, you know, and I'm just like, in, so I'm just like looking, you know, at the end, you know, like just to watch like the tears stream down, as through my tear streamed eyes watching them. 
you know, and Shannon's just like, you know, he's like red and, and he, he turns to me and he hits me as hard as he can <laughs> in the shoulder. He was like, damn it, Brian. So that was my, I was almost 29, so I wasn't watching it as a kid, but uh, it just, you know, and, and just thinking about what the landscape of animation was, you know, Pixar was just a few years old. Mm -hmm. They'd put out maybe three movies, you know. Watching it now, I, I really think about how well it's stood up, how well the CGI is, you know. I mean, this, uh, I think Futurama came out just a little bit after this, and they did start, started doing the, you know, the, the ship was CGI, everything else was traditional. Um, but they really did such an amazing job. It was so state-of-the-art that they were able to seamlessly work 2D and 3D together and really create you know, this emotive 3D character that was really, in a way, probably better than some of the Pixar stuff that had kind of you know, come before it. To touch on that point, they did something similar with Beauty and the Beast in the ballroom, and it is not seamless. <laughs> and so that really is a, a show to how they really well incorporated that CG with animation, because that ballroom scene is not good. Yeah. But with Iron Giant, you can't, you can't tell, yeah. like, at all. And it's held up, like, I, it, the test of time very, very well. Yeah, I have good points sometimes. Oh, well, as I was not a twenty-something years old when that came out, I was much younger. I grew up in very rural Oklahoma, prior Oklahoma, so I did not see this for about one or two years after it came out. I had to wait for Blockbuster. And then I had to wait for my parents to go to Blockbuster. And then I had to wait for my parents to go, it's Nikki's turn to pick a movie. So it took a little while. I I'm come from a family of seven kids, so uh, I'm third in line. So it didn't take as long. But then the siblings cry, the younger ones cry, and they get a turn to bump. Middle child. Anyways, moving on. And <laughs> um, so I ended up seeing this probably around the year 2000. It was about a year after its release. And my grandma had just passed away. And so the you stay, I go really hit home for me a lot. And my parents were going through a divorce. And so um, having that single mom and having that lost kind of lost parent, because my mom was viciously divorced my dad. Me and my dad are very close now. and. Me and my mom are not. I'm an oversharer too. I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, I need feel like you need to get the whole context. So this movie was very, very um, identifiable with me. Even though Hogarth is a boy character coming of age, I was still going through that. It didn't really matter to me that it was a male character. It was still this person is going through these things that I am similarly going through, and even in a way the way you identify with the Iron Giant, and it really makes you question humanity in some ways, like, because in the Iron Giant, he is more human than a lot of the humans are, and he has more empathy and depth and emotion, and is able to express and feel without any hindrance, which is something that I really needed at that time, and it really taught me how. Um, so that's really my deep personal <laughs> experience. 
with it. I, um, I try not to get too heavy. That's why I tend to cry whenever I see this movie. I did good this time, just a few teardrops. I have makeup on, so I had to consider that. <laughs> no, that's a great story. <laughs> no, for real. For real. I, uh, like this gentleman, actually saw the movie opening day as well. Um, I remember it being about, I think I went and saw it over at the Regal Cinema on at Crossroads. I don't know, is that thing still around? I don't, I've been Southside for so long. Is it? Okay. Yeah. But anyway, there was probably five people in the whole theater on a seven o'clock showing on a Friday night. <laughs> and the other one that was there with me was my three and a half year old daughter. And one of the things that really kind of like I always can go back on with this movie is that it was the first movie that she and I ever like bonded over where we both saw something in a movie, even though my take was completely different than hers. We still had this <clears throat> this connection with this movie to this day. We still talk about it. I told her about it a couple weeks ago that we're going to be doing this panel and showing it. And she really wanted to be here, but she had to work tonight. And so... But whenever we went to see the movie, I really didn't know what to expect. It was just like, okay, this is an animated movie, which I like animated movies, I always have. But at this point, after 10 years of the song and dance Disney movies, there weren't a whole lot of intellectual adult animated movies that you could even possibly think about going to see at a theater in a first-run experience. I mean, it was all anime or something like that if you really wanted that experience. Or you could go watch, you know, Watership Down or Secret of Nim for the millionth time. And oh, so Secret of Nim. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie. And, and so I, I get to it, and I'm just like, okay, this is kind of sci-fi, and, and obviously it's told through the kid's perspective. And for me, it's such an interesting thing, not only that it, I was probably, in, in 99, I was 26, so, and my daughter's three and a half years old, and we still had some emotional connection, and that just shows how broad the movie's appeal can be. And... And, but what I remember right is that like Warner Brothers took a big gamble on this movie and spent like $50 million or something on it. And it shows that they spent a lot of money mm -hmm. on it because it's meticulously hand-drawn. I mean, technically there's so many great little details and flourishes. And like you said, the CGI and the hand-drawn are so seamless, um, which up to that point, there weren't a whole lot. Like has anybody ever seen Titan AE? That was, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's oh like, my gosh. <laughs> It's like, which movie is this, you know? And so, and so Warner Brothers spent a lot of money on this, and then it tanked. And it basically ruined hand-drawn movies uh, that weren't Disney for any other studio. Nobody would even touch them just because they're like, well, hell, we put out this quality product, and nobody's going to come to see it, you know? So, But with all that being said, it just goes to show that maybe box office isn't always, office isn't always any, everything. And as, as all the movies we show here will attest to, is most of them have a cult following. And a lot of it has to do with some kind of emotional connection to either your, that time period in your life or the, your relationship with your daughter or your, or your father or whatever, you know, so. Uh, my first time seeing Iron Giant was a little checkered, awkward, because I saw it uh, in the theaters in 99 and I was 12 at the time. And uh, for me, 12 was kind of that age of, uh, you're trying to sort of, push away childhood things of, you know, oh, I'm, I'm 12 now, and pretty soon I'm going to be a teenager. I can't be watching these animated movies. And then um, also the fact that I, from my frame of mind, all animated movies were like Disney movies. So when I went and saw it, I went and saw it with my dad and my sister, and I was very confused watching it. Uh, I was kind of looking at my dad like, oh, where's the songs? There's, 
There's no talking animals in this. I, I expected the giant robot to do putting on the Ritz somewhere in the second act. What, what, what is this? And then it was later on, a few years later, when Cartoon Network would do their 24-hour uh, Iron Giant marathons that I saw it and thought, oh, this is, this is good stuff. So my first time seeing it, what stood out to me was this is, this is very different. And like you were saying, it's a very intellectual movie in a time where you weren't getting a lot of intellectual uh, animated movies. Well, yes. And one of the other things, um, you know, we kind of touched on there being deeper themes in this movie. Um, I was wondering, you know, from you guys, um, specifically for me, one of the things that I think of is the... Uh, the uh, human nature aspect of fearing something you don't understand, you know what I mean? Because that's like the whole problem behind the robot. You know, they keep, you know, Hogarth keeps telling, like, the uh, the army guys, like, listen, he's not bad. Like, <laughs> he's reacting to your gun. Him and Dean both keep saying, like, he's not a bad guy. And um, so that, ke that theme keeps coming up, and I think it's, you know, very much a... Uh, you know, human nature type of thing. So I was wondering, you know, is there a deeper theme like that that you guys can kind of tap as like what maybe made this movie stick out to you or stand the test of time for you? For me, that's definitely the one I always go to is that, you know, the uh, not understanding and fearing the unknown. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Brian? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, now more than ever, the whole idea of a gun not wanting to be a gun is pretty, you know, on topic. You or, are who you choose to be. Yeah. Um, That's definitely mine. Uh, a year after it came out in 2000, um, I got married, and my favorite aunt uh, is an ex-nun. Um, uh, and she was like a nun in like the 1960s, like marching with like the like migrant farm workers with like Cesar Chavez and stuff like that. So she was like super cool and, and super creative and an artist. And I was an artist, so, so we always had this connection. Um, and uh, I asked her to give the blessing at our uh, wedding reception, um, and she actually told a story because I, I had raved about the Iron Giant tour, and she'd she'd seen it and loved it, and so she she gave her the blessing of the you know before our our wedding reception dinner uh, was her talking about the Iron Giant and talk and and uh, analogizing it to Jesus. And because she's even after she left the convent, she still taught in Catholic schools for 40 years. Um, and uh, and so she she talked especially about when uh, when the giant holds Hogarth in his hands as as he's falling after being hit and he's you know protecting Hogarth and analogizing that in a religious context. And she's she still she used that throughout her, you know, throughout the 2000s when as she was teaching uh, using giant as a Christ figure in popular media. And, uh, you know, and, and that was something that I didn't, I didn't necessarily bring to it when I saw it, but sharing it with her and her being able to share it with others through that lens um, uh, was, I thought, really powerful in, in, a really, in a way that people, you know, a lot of people can sort of see it and really sort of bring you know, bring their individual thoughts and, you know, and those kind of, you know, powerful images and, and read things into it to kind of add to the depth of it. I'm going to steal a little bit of that because that is the major theme of my, of why I like it so much, especially as an adult, rewatching it as an adult, um, not only with the, uh, 
the mom, especially I'm a divorced mom myself, and so I can kind of identify, you know, that worrying about your child and going, oh, God, what have they done now? And, you know, why aren't they in their bed? Where are they at? You know, and one of the things I really enjoy about that movie is she allows to have, allows Hogarth to have that agency that a lot of parents don't allow their kids to have nowadays. They're so worried about protecting them and keeping them away, but would you rather have protected kids or strong kids? And that's one of the major themes that I think is in this movie that I take as an adult, is I'd rather have my kid be strong and be able to deal with these things and be able to you know, handle a giant robot rather than run away and be scared and do what the military did and be afraid of it. And so that's one of the things. But then again, that choose who you want to be. We all, I've been reading a book by um, Jordan B. Peterson, if anyone knows, it's called 12 Rules of Life, An Anecdote to Chaos. If anyone wants to read it, it's fantastic. And he talks, touches on the subject that we all have evil inside us just like the Iron Giant does. But we choose whether to tap into that or not. We are all afraid of the terribleness inside us, but we choose not to tap into that. And whether it's anger or any or self-righteousness or you know, self-righteous anger or whatever, um, we choose when to use that. Because there is a scene in the movie where he gets angry and he thinks that, you know, they just killed Hogarth, and then he, in his self-righteous anger, goes after the military. And honestly, in the movie, I feel he's justified. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm like, I'm okay with this. Was it the right thing to do? It's a very gray area, but, you know, it's one of those gray areas that we all kind of have to deal with in our lives. And so it's something that I didn't think about until I watched it when I was older, and I didn't realize that they touched upon these subjects. So I'm really, those are the two subjects that really get me now, so. I think another interesting point of the movie is, it basically takes place during Cold, Cold War era, 50s uh, US. And so you have this really oppressive fear, and you can see it in a lot of the television stuff and the, the military speak and all that kind of stuff and just between the people in the town just talking about different things back and forth, and yet you still have Hogarth as this small child who obviously doesn't have a father or has an absentee father, who not only embraces this mysterious giant war machine, also kind of becomes like this father figure to him. He's always scolding him, he's always telling him what to do, what not to do, no, stay, stop, go, do this, teaching him how to speak and all of these kind of things. And so it's a really interesting juxtaposition whenever you think about this kid who is oblivious maybe to all the other stuff going on because he wants a friend so badly that he winds up becoming kind of a mentor to this thing too. Uh, the two big things that kind of stand out for me from the, from the flick is uh, basically the, the love and care that was put into really representing the 1950s and sort of that Eisenhower era, Cold War, Red Menace type thing. Um, it's not sort of an idolized Norman Rockwell version. It's very much kind of a, a how, as close as you can get to a kid's movie of sort of, of talking about those things and being, um, being honest about those things and just throwing in little things like uh, Jack Parr hosting The Tonight Show. You know, most, most kids, I think, 
you said if you go into uh, a movie theater and show an 11 year old like hey look it's Jack Parr what who's Jack Parr and then the other thing is it's a very it, I feel like it stands up because it's a very simple story um, there's some complex themes in it but at the end of the day it's a lot of just that a boy and his dog type story of just this kid finds something that um, he understands and understands him and there's that bond there. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. The last question I want to ask you guys is to consider, um, you know, the first time we, we've talked, we've touched on that and kind of touched around like kind of thoughts from now, but think about the first time you saw the movie versus tonight. Is there something for you? And I, and I know for me, there's things that have stuck out. Um, but for you guys, um, what has stuck out tonight that maybe upon first viewing or maybe even second viewing, seeing it now through like that contemporary lens, is there something new that has stuck out to you or something that rings even truer now, Brian? Well, geez, actually having kids, you know, I kind of, you know, uh, we don't live near woods, you know, for them to run around. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, kind of what, uh, uh, you know, what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, my kids are almost 15 and, and nine, almost 10, you know, and, and I wish they explored more. I explored more when I was a kid, and I think maybe that's just been just sort of the nature of technology and probably the nature of society that, that there would, there's not that, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, ready exploration, you know, that kids used to have, you know. Uh, um, uh, and something I, I, I'd kind of forgotten is that, for me, sort of the subtlety of some of the details, like um, Hogarth's dad, they never say, but it does flash to a picture of a man, uh, like a, a, by like a, a plane, when it shows his clock. And so I've, I'd forgotten that I, seeing it, five times within like the span of two weeks back in 1999. Um, you know, I, I, I would have to assume that like his dad was probably like killed in Korea or something like that, you know. Um, but they never say, and they, and they didn't feel that they need to. And I, and I like that, you know, they, they didn't have to sort of like spoon feed these details. They can kind of, kind of like put things in there and let you, if you want to, if you're paying enough attention, kind of, you know, fill in the blanks, but, it, you know, but it's not, you know, it was a very lean story. It's like they just, you know, it was, it, it, it told the story that it needed to tell. Um, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, I wonder, you know, it'd be kind of cool if, you know, my kids were brave enough to, you know, save the life of a, you know, giant metal creature. Isn't that every parent's goal? <laughs> I just want a giant robot that they bring home and I'll be like, cool, don't tell your dad. Okay, we're good. Um, <laughs> don't go home and tell your dad. Um, and I touched on it with, uh, you know, I'd rather have brave kids than protected kids, strong kids than protected kids. And um, actually, from this viewing, I identified as an adult with the adults a lot more. Uh, I didn't realize how much I really admired Dean. Like, that is an unappreciated character. He gives that kid what for when he needs it, and then just allows it. He's like, all right, no snitch. Keep your giant here, you know? 
is fine. Don't eat the art. Oh, oh that's nice, actually. Never mind. Let me go keep not. I love that he does arts and crafts with the robot. And he just is, he's so chill. And if more adults were that way, we get you know, strung up in work, career, dip diplomacy of our career, you know, we get hustle, hustle, hustle. That he's just, you know, he's, he's a scrap guy doing his thing. And, you know, I, isn't that what everyone really wants in life is just do our thing to the best of our ability and be happy with it. I mean, Dean is one of those unsung heroes in that. And he... And how he treats Hogarth through that movie is just fantastic. Because, like I said, my parents divorced. I had to find some, and I, now I have some fantastic male role models with Joshua Unruh and Michael Cross and um, many other great, great men uh, in my life. But uh, just finding those good people through your life that you can attach yourself to and that want just as good for you as they want for themselves. And that's a lesson that's not promoted very much, I guess, in society. It's like ride or die is usually, you know, the what you have with friends. But sometimes you need to cut those friends out. And then when you find good ones, stick with them. And so I think that's one of the major things that, from today that I took. I think it's kind of interesting because uh, Ready Player One is largely about Easter eggs and that kind of stuff. And so there were two things I noticed in the movie we were watching it today. One, Brad Bird went on to direct Tomorrowland for yeah. Disney. Mm -hmm. And there's a little screen from uh, Dean's scrap shop where they're, he's watching TV and it says Tomorrowland. Mm -hmm. So it's not even an Easter egg. It just happens to be an Easter egg, <laughs> future speaking, you know? Sure. So yeah, foreshadowing. And then the other thing too is, is there's a scene where Hogarth's trying to keep um, the giant from following him to the house or whatever, and he's walking through all these trees and brush and everything. And then it, at the end of the scene, it, it cuts to like this overhead view of the forest and the trees are blowing, and all you hear is Hogarth yell, bad robot. <laughs> and I did a little research, <laughs> and this is J.J. Abrams' production company, and it's from that scene. Wow. So, yeah. I didn't know that, that's so fantastic. No, no, uh, oh. no, just the name of the company the is, yeah, the Bad company. Robot is from that. What okay. bird, I can't remember his first name, he wrote, Red Red Red. okay, I know a little tidbit from that too. You know the Twinkie that he makes, he called it a Turbo Twinkie, and apparently he used to make that as a kid, <laughs> and <laughs> I tried that. <laughs> Unless you're a hummingbird, don't, don't eat that, because it is nothing but sugar. You'll wind up like Hogarth oh after, my gosh. Uh, after the, the espresso. <laughs> espresso. Yeah, no. Um, two things for me stand out just from watching it tonight and from when I first watched it um, is as you get older and kind of life, you know, becomes a little more, um, I don't want to say harder, but life becomes life. Those movies that have a lot of heart, uh, re it resonates with you a lot more. And so watching it tonight, um, it, was just, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, and kind of it... It hits you a little harder when, um, you know, as you go through life more. And the other thing, just for me personally, was uh, it was a little wistful um, hearing John Mahoney's voice. Yeah. Um, me being a huge Frasier fan, uh, hearing John Mahoney's voice as the general, I was just like, oh, man, I, I'm going to have to go home and watch Frasier. <laughs> so, but yeah, that, that was, that was kind of what it was for me. Well, I appreciate you guys taking out the time to come be on this panel. 
Uh, I definitely want to give you guys real quick, uh, you know, time to promote where people can find you and maybe follow you on social media. Um, yeah, here's your time to shine. All right, cool. Um, uh, Robot House is on, uh, our Facebook is mostly uh, neglected, but uh, we've been posting some cool <laughs> stuff Facebook. on uh, Instagram and Twitter. We're Robot House OKC. Um, uh, and afterwards, I actually brought some of my uh, Iron Giant swag from the Dear Departed uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers store from Penn Square Mall. Um, and I, I replaced the tw 2012 uh, batteries in the bank. So he is working. So he's taking donations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got a couple other things. So after we're all finished, you can come up if you want to take a look. Uh, you can find me at the Okie Geek podcast on Facebook and at Retro Robinson. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can also see find us at Okie Geek Podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can find me here all the time, <laughs> every day. No, uh, honestly, I just really want to thank everybody for coming out. It's, uh, it was a hell of a showing for a really great movie. And it's amazing that I think there might actually be more people that stuck around for this discussion panel than did the Blade Runner. And we actually had an author of some of the novel or the novelized sequels to the Blade Runner here last week. So, so uh, congrats to you guys. You have put on a great panel. So, uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Awesome Robot, and. Uh, I guess uh, also the uh, Tunes and Tunes podcast uh, available wherever fine now. wherever uh, fine podcasts are streamed. Uh, yeah, so yeah, there's just uh, there's so many guys like in uh, that I've had on the show multiple times. <laughs> I'm like, you guys just You're need now a co-host. Co yeah, right. Casey's one of them. Jacob's one of them. Shout out to Jacob French, uh, <laughs> <laughs> J Train. Uh, yeah, as you. Uh, you could follow us on social media, Tunes Tunes Podcast. That's T U N E S slash T O O N S. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then Google Play, iTunes, wherever you guys listen to your podcasts. Uh, thanks again for coming out. And uh, yeah, stick around for uh, Pacific Rim. I'm about to start that and then come hang out with us and talk for a minute if you want to. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys.